Thank you. Good morning. morning. Greetings in the name of Jesus. Also, our little congregation in Amherst, Virginia, Daystring Christian Fellowship. We actually canceled church this morning down our way because of our big snow, like three inches. I think our snow is more slippery than yours is. A lot of faces here I don't know. There are a few. Uh, Myron and Rachel are what I would call, no pun intended, but old friends of ours. <laughs> is that okay, Myron? Several weeks ago, we went to a neighboring community to visit Dad's old friend. And my children were kind of surprised that he was not that much older than I am. But we do have a lot of good memories about some of you. There seems to be a Bill and Diane Wheeler. Could you all raise your hands? This is Bill and Diane. Uh, Greetings from Marvin and Karen Koblenz, who have recently moved into our community. They're fast becoming old friends of ours, too. Just a little bit about our family. Freeman and Emily Miller. Um, like there's my wife. I like to know where she is when I'm preaching. We had five children, three married and three still at home. So we brought the three youngest along. And for some of you that are good at math, you know the numbers don't add up. <laughs> we were privileged to take a new one in, uh, permanently staying with us, Hannah Brown. Uh, as this, as of this past June, so I've always said we had five babies and one teenager. And frankly, I think the teenager may have been easier. We moved into the town of Amherst during 2002. That's when our church started. We had started with a lot of a lot of good goals, some are finding out, may not have been as good as we thought they were. A lot of good goals, a lot of zeal, a lot of energy. Coming into what was considered and still is the charity movement in about 2002, 2003. In 2002, I personally didn't know much about that except that I was always taught it was dangerous and stay away from it. With time, we went to a leadership seminar, and I was deeply impacted. Never in my life had I been to a group of that many men from that many diverse cultures, spiritual backgrounds. And later at the youth Bible school, I had never seen so many young people that just unashamedly loved Jesus. 
and we're not distracted by so many of the distractions that what the Anabaptist culture was getting caught up into. And it ministered to me in a way that I will always appreciate. Uh, Brother Danny Keniston and Mark Brubaker kind of shepherded our church for several years after we figured out it wasn't as easy as we thought it was going to be. We reached out to them and they walked with us very closely for about two years. Tremendous, tremendous blessing. And as the years went on, uh, our congregation started struggling and um, kind of imploded on some level. It's what I call a meltdown. You know what meltdowns are in churches? And I find myself, I found myself having to rethink so many of the things that I thought were subtle. And I wasn't able to fully explain where in Peter's short little journey I was. Was I getting out of the boat? Was I walking on water? Was I sinking? But I knew that I found myself again before God reevaluating some things on a very basic level. And actually, three different times in the last 15 years, I found myself back before the Lord saying, Lord, is what I believe. Is what I believe actually grounded in the Bible? I never wavered from believing that the Bible had the answers, but I no longer trusted my own ability to even know. It seems like when the disciples in the boat don't encourage you when you step out, you kind of look back and start thinking, I must have made a mistake. And something else I found out, we kind of chuckle at Peter for actually walking on water. Like, how many of you have actually walked on water? I'm not talking about frozen water. How many of you have actually walked on water? Not one of us. But then we chuckle at Peter for sinking. But we sink just because a brother or sister slapped slapped us up in the side of the head. We get shaken when our environment changes. And we start questioning whether God has changed. Do you understand what I'm saying? I did too. (laughs) One of the things that became more important to me than anything else I wanted to understand let me rephrase that. I wanted to learn to know Jesus in such a way that Christianity actually worked. And since I think simple thoughts, I could only conclude 
that if Jesus was who Jesus says he was, that it would have to bring a level of quality of life that was worth living. And that you could actually walk in the joy of the Lord instead of discouragement of personal failure or group failure. And as I watched some of these families that I had staked my life on, changing their theology to keep up with their children, or changing some of the philosophies that they had been teaching, And I watched some of the things I had believed and integrated into my family not working. And I watched our oldest son waver between choosing God or the devil. I had to come to grips with the fact that there's something deep within a man and a woman that has to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus is real. And then from that point, allow Christ to dwell in us. Or maybe just believe that who Jesus is can change us to the fact that we can walk in reality and stability. And I'm not here to try to convince you I'm on the other side, but I can tell you I've been in the war. (laughs) And as time goes on, and I look at y'all as a relatively young congregation, a lot like ours, we had to raise our own older folks. (laughs) We're getting there, just give me a little time. We had maybe two that I would have called older. They didn't like that term. Myron's age. But the rest of us were young. What you find is when... It seems like when couples get to the point that they're starting to see as their children need something stable, they gravitate towards churches that they believe have answers. And then it's easy to depend on the church... We try to get away from regulated churches, and then we find a church that's not as regulated, but we lean on them just the same. And then when we're disappointed, uh, we become disillusioned. Do you all know that song? I was going to ask Eldon, I forgot. Um, I want more of Jesus, more and more and more. How many of you would know that song? Okay, maybe enough that I don't have to write it down because you struggle reading my writing anyway. Let me tell you what brought me to this message. I have a lot of sermons I could have preached. I just didn't know what to preach. Last night around the supper table, I was asking the children, what should I preach on this morning? I asked my nephew, Eric Miller. He never would tell me. I even left my books out on the desk in hopes that he'd, you know, like this morning have a sermon ready. But he didn't. 
At three o'clock this morning, I got up and my wife asked me, what are you doing? I said, I'm going out to write my sermon down. At 4.30, I crawled back in bed and I felt at peace. Before we sing this song, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Can I pull this over a little? I think churches are rated by the complexity of their recording system. (laughs) There is one church that has y'all beat, though. I had like three things hung on me there for various reasons. Color writes the best. Let me try the blue. As the years went on, I started realizing that a relationship with Jesus does not automatically determine a life that glorifies Jesus. I've watched lots and lots of men and women that unquestionably loved Jesus, whose personal lives were in shambles. And whose families were in shambles, and whose churches were in shambles. I found this, I'm one that kind of, I mean, I'm not like near as intelligent as my brother Eldon is. But I grapple with some of these deep things. Maybe that's why he understands them, I'm still grappling with them. But what, what I grappled with is, why is Jesus... Why is he not, through us, who he said he could be? I have a lot of local friends in our area. We have retail storage buildings. Our family, kind of a family business, some local employees there. Retail storage buildings and run a ice cream parlor hamburger shop. And what that has done is it's integrated us. It's given us a window into the very grassroots of our community. And I have a local of Baptist pastor friends. Uh, some of these men, they love Jesus incredibly. And their children live for the devil. And I try to understand all of this. And then there's the conservative Anabaptists that believe what I believe are important doctrinal Bible principles. 
And so we have a lot more understanding and knowledge than my Baptist friends do. We take the Bible very practical and believe what it says. But guess what? Often our children do not adopt our beliefs. And as I've looked across the Anabaptist world, which includes what's considered the remnant charity churches, and as I have watched the in the last ten years a slide down a slippery slope away from what we used to believe was important at a speed I have never seen in any group. I'm just, and I've watched a lot of these young people that have grown up in Christian homes who maybe the mom and dad blew apart. And the children are back out into drugs and sex and alcohol. And I'm trying to understand, why is this happening? Statistics across the nation would tell you that only one out of four, that's 25%, of children in our nation that are born in Christian homes personally choose to follow Jesus. And as I look across some of the shattered, struggling families within our own churches, I've come to this conclusion. One of the deep Anabaptist doctrines has been that divorce is wrong. But I found out that just because mom and dad do not divorce does not mean that they provide an an environment where Jesus can be understood by the little ones that are growing up. Our divorce rate may be lower, but I don't know that some of the tragedies are any lower. And this isn't about speaking harshly against anybody. If you know some of the struggles our own home had, especially in the early years. You would weep with me. But trying to understand is how can we pass on our faith? How can Jesus become as real into my children's hearts as he is in mine? How can I pass what I biblically believe onto my children and onto my fellow brothers and sisters? How can we grip these principles? How can our children, the next generation, grasp these principles in ways that work for them? And I've often seen this, that it works for mom and dad, but it doesn't work for the children. Let's sing this song. I want more of Jesus. And the ones, we'll sing it twice. So the ones that don't know it the first time, you will know it the second time. It's a great little song. Ed and June Yoder, who have lived in Bolivia for a number of years, uh, came through and taught us this song. Our, we, our, some of us in our family teach the Older Vacation Bible School boys class. And uh, we put an age limit there, but they kept coming. So the age kept going up and up. To, we had like 18-year-olds in our 13-year-old class. but And they... This is one of the songs that we like to sing with them. I want more of Jesus. I want more of Jesus. More and more and more. I want more of Jesus than I ever had before. More and more of His great love, rich and full and free. 
I know we have a lot to think about, and I can tell that some of your hearts and minds are processing a lot. I do want to keep this very simple. I just want to talk about several concepts. Because I'm guessing that you folks are somewhat normal, average. And that what I'm finding is some of these struggles that I thought that the Anabaptists had a monopoly on, we don't. Some of these are human struggles. And as they relate to other churches, and we've had the opportunity to be preaching at a few of the local funerals. Christian, some of her friends, have been singing at a number of the local funerals. Um, bringing young people from dysfunctional homes into our home. Applying some of the principles that the Lord has taught us in the last 15 years. Watching youth that no longer believe God even exists. They've been convinced by the dysfunction in their home and church that Jesus has no value. And they may be depressed to the point of dangerous, dangerously suicidal. They're hanging from a thread. I've watched them being brought into an environment that simply, consistently lives Jesus. I have found that the true spirit of Jesus is not passed on from preaching from teaching or long family devotions. What I've found is the true spirit of Jesus is picked up through relationships, through reality, through transparency. We as adults, think about this, even if you're 50 years old, we gravitate towards what we believe is real. We want to surround ourselves with people that we can understand. We want to surround ourselves with people that are not steeped in hypocrisy. Our little ones do the same thing. And I've found that some of these concepts are incredibly simple. And if, if you think about it, children, I just made this up, okay? But I believe it. it. I mean, it's not like I can take you to a book and tell you this is a documented, well-researched fact. But I, I am suggesting that, children, that we as humans, but children are largely 95% environmentally shaped. And so let's say you come to the point of believing that the environment impacts your child, all of a sudden you're going to decide that environment is very important. 
So what we tend to do, whether you come from a Bill Gothard background or a Godly Home Series background or some of the more conservative churches background, it doesn't matter. What we tend to do, we try to create an environment that we believe is going to keep the dangers out. And if you're in a very structured church, you'll find that the church system is actually raising your children. So you'd better be careful what church you choose if the church is raising your children. The youth group, all of that. And you just, what a lot of parents do, Baptists do this as well, so this isn't just us. We pray that God would bring good friends into our children's lives. And the reason we pray that is our friends raise our children. I found that friends are not mature enough to know Jesus well enough or to have had enough experience to know how to shape the character in a biblical, Christ-like, stable way in a 15-year-old. <laughs> I mean, 15-year-olds know a lot, but that's one of the things they've not had the experience to do. So here's what happens. We draw a circle around our family to keep the devil out. And we forget the fact that maybe he lives within the circle too. You know what I'm saying? I've watched many families destroy themselves by keeping good things out of their family. Or they create a small circle and within that circle maybe dad is angry. Or maybe mama's controlling. Or maybe mama's emotionally shattered. Maybe dad is passive, whatever he may be. But never forget this. Whatever is happening within that circle is going to impact your children very deeply. And what we have found, very, very simply, it's this. Provide an environment that explains Jesus. Provide an environment that explains Jesus. I have found that almost without fail, a child that is put in an environment that exclusively explains Jesus, they will say, wow, I want Jesus. Regardless of where the child was before he came into that circle. That's why the high success rate of some of these boys' wilderness camps. Believe me, they protect that circle like you wouldn't believe. Nothing penetrates that circle that would deviate from what they're wanting to teach. Everything within that circle is conducive to learning how to work through relationships. And I haven't been that involved with the camps. Uh, I've talked with a few of the folks that have been there and thought, wow, uh, that's the same thing I believe. <laughs> and I started understanding why it works. In our effort to provide a godly circle, we often keep out positives. In our effort to let the positives in, we often let in negatives. So it, it, it takes a lot of Holy Spirit discernment to understand that. Okay. Reading in Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. 
And I used to interpret that word vacation as the job that you're called in. But frankly, I believe a simple rendering that verse is, is that we have the opportunity to follow Jesus. So let's just do that. Let's just follow Jesus. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, above all, through all, and in you all. Okay, let me ask you a question. Do you folks believe in God? Do you? Raise your hand if you do. Okay. Do you believe that God is who He said He is? Okay. I'm going to ask you another question. Let's just say, what do you do for an occupation? Horse. What do you do for an occupation? Yes. I drive truck. You drive truck? Do you know a lot about electrical work? Well, you know more about it than I do, because I keep... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Let's say you were being asked to be to be a master electrician. Would that, like, overwhelm you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like you'd believe it's unfair to have that high an expectation of you? Yeah, you should stay at least eight feet away from open boxes. Okay. Because you might trip and fall. Or <laughs> I understand. That's the way I deal with electricity. Okay. Here's what God did. He said, Brother Earl, I want you to become a master electrician. And you said, I can't. I can't. And God said, I know that. That's why I'm going to put a master electrician inside of you. All you have to do is think like he does. And do what he tells you. And with time, you take on the mind of Jesus. Does that make sense? And then what's going to happen, you're going to do this beautiful job that's way beyond anybody ever thought you could do. And then you'll step back. See what happens? And then the electrician within you loses his connection. So you go do the next job and you stick your finger in the socket. (laughs) Okay. That's the way it works. <laughs> Think about it. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Believing in Jesus is everything. <laughs> and do we believe that Jesus lives in us? We are in Christ and He is in us. I remember Myron pouring his heart out to our little congregation years ago. It's like he believed that with a passion. And guess what? We become like what's within us. And if we're becoming something that is unchristlike, there's something living within us that is not like Jesus. That's why it's a perfect law of liberty. It's like a mirror. And so then we look in the mirror and we don't like what we see, so we become legalistic and try to create something. That is not Christ in us. It just looks like Jesus on the outside. But I'm going to tell you, on the inside of the circle, it sure doesn't feel like Jesus. (coughs) The ones that are around us aren't seeing Jesus through that. 
But when you look in the mirror, we say, oh, that looks nice. Got my hair combed. I don't even comb mine. Jesus living in us is everything. Here's what happens. Here's where it starts to break down. The unity of the Spirit. For all of us that love Jesus, we are convinced that the Spirit of God lives in us and that we are becoming changed into the image of Jesus day by day by the Spirit of God within us. And so we say we have the unity of the Spirit. Um, I'm going to ask you, what's the difference between the unity of the Spirit and the Spirit of Unity? I'd like to have some thoughts. What would be an example of the Spirit of Unity? Eldon? United States Marines. United States Marines. And I've... I track enough with politics so I can speak intelligently to the people I relate to. And one thing I noticed in this last demonstration of hopeful politicians, there was a strong spirit of unity. Imagine thousands of Trump supporters starting to chant, lock her up, lock her up, lock her up. And the whole crowd would get into this frenzy. Or imagine Hillary's side, the whole group saying, we need a president for all the people, not just some of the people. It's like they pick up these slogans. Look at the riots that happen. A number of I believe, very sad demonstrations of humanity. Uh, Ferguson, Missouri, uh, many other, Charlotte, North Carolina. When something happens that the city believes is unfair. Imagine the power of unity and its destructive force. The spirit of unity, which we as conservative churches tend to get disentangled. We look across the outside and we say, we have unity. How many gray shirts are here? We're unified, okay? They were, they were on sale. They were <laughs> <laughs> the spirit of unity is okay, but it doesn't tell you much of the story. Being in union or relationship with the Spirit of God is absolutely, ultimately important. Being in unity with the Spirit of God. Okay. Probably most of you would say, we've got that one. Spent time with him this morning. God speaks through me, in me, and I feel so valued As I spend time with my Heavenly Father, I'm just so grateful to be a child of Him. So we have the unity of the Spirit. To where the Spirit of God draws us together. I have a question for you. Why is the bond of peace often so lacking? And it seems like the stronger that we believe we have the 
unity of the Spirit, the more fragile the bond of peace. And the stronger the Spirit runs, the louder the explosion when the church blows up. And I started understanding that there's something missing. Like something deadly missing. And I started realizing our congregation doesn't have a monopoly on doing this wrong. <laughs> I used to think we were better at getting it wrong than other congregations. But we haven't lost that status. As we have friends in a lot of places, and you all know this, the devastation of the church of God just never stops. And I'm not saying it never will stop. If you go into the first several chapters of Revelations, Jesus spoke to the apostatizing churches. Most of the seven were reprimanded sharply. One thing I came to grips with is this. I remember telling this to John D. Martin, and he misunderstood me and was offended temporarily until I explained it. So just hold on if you misunderstand it. I told him even the apostles couldn't plant a church that lasted for a hundred years. Jesus sharply rebuked some of the churches that still had the apostles as their shepherd. And if the apostle John could not implement something that hindered a person from falling away from God, then how do I believe I can do it? And it brought me back to the point that the Spirit of God is ultimately essential. And that our, not only our love for Jesus. I've watched a lot of people that I honestly believe love Jesus that did things that made the devil happy. I know that's an oxymoron or whatever word Elton would use. But I've watched it too often to believe that it's not happening. It's like God is big enough to use someone like me and you and other folks that are very confused. I have to contribute to God's greatness. He is big enough to use someone that's struggling (coughs) and is getting a lot of things wrong. And God can still use that person. But it doesn't mean that everything that person is doing is Christ-like and godly. One of our brothers, Tim Croft, he made a statement that makes a lot of sense to me. He said, the anointing of the Spirit on a man does not indicate his true spirituality. God can choose to put his anointing on a sermon. And when that man walks out the door and goes home, his family may believe he is not a Christ-like man. God chooses who he uses, where he uses, and how he uses them. That troubled me for a while because I thought God should be more consistent than that. But what I came to understand is that God is God. And God, like Paul said, whether Jesus is preached in, in um, I just read the words this morning, whether it's against trying to make life hard for Paul or positive. He said at least Jesus is being preached. God chooses to use men in some amazing, strange places.
What we need to understand, though, is that Jesus said, you'll know a man by his fruit. And if Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, we tend to follow people that have the flash-in-the-pan sermons, the flash-in-the-pan ministries, and we forget to look at the fruit. What is the fruit of the people you are patterning your life after? Many young people follow the ones that are popular in the moment and never give any thought to the tears and anguish that young person may have in his moments alone. Our churches are being driven and guided by unsettled, confused people. Think about that. It's often the... I'm throwing out too many things for you to have to uh, chew on. I'm writing it all down. (laughs) You would make an electrician if you set your mind to it. (laughs) I have found that 15 to 25-year-olds set the direction of most churches. They determine what's a biblical veiling. They determine what's biblical music. They determine what's biblical modesty. They determine how to relate to sports. They determine what to do with social media. This is a general statement. I'm not, I don't know your church here. But I've found in general, 15 to 25 year olds set the direction of a church long term. And not because the 25 year old is at some point going to be 40, but it's like the whole new generation shifts as if we've changed our theology. And I've also discovered that it's not the struggling ones in the church that destroy the church, but when the mature spiritual ones try to bring resolution to the struggles, the reaction to that is what destroys a church. Usually it's the reaction amongst the mature ones about how to respond to an issue that is way more destructive than the issue itself ever was. We find that over and over. And then the young people we're trying to save completely get disillusioned and lose their way. I am just incredibly grateful to God that our family survived the last 15 years. And I credit God because many of my friends who are more noble than I am, didn't. But through that, I came to believe several things very strongly. I try to be long-suffering. I try to be open. I try to learn. But I'm going to tell you, at this point in my life, there's a few things I will not back up on. And one of it is, children and youth are a product of their environment. Now, I know when they get older, they can make their own decisions. They can do... I understand that. I've always said I'll never write a book because my book isn't done until all my grandchildren have reached their eternal destiny. My story is not done. But I am starting to believe some of God's principles are enduring, even if we don't know how to walk them. I stopped looking around me to see whether God was stable. I stopped looking at how well it worked to see if that's what the Bible actually said. And I started believing verses about Jesus. 
that completely changed my life. And I started believing that Jesus is real. And that he's the only value. And I started believing that if I believe that, and if I live that, the ones in my close proximity will very likely live it as well. I believe we're creatures of choice. So I would do so many foolish things. The Spirit of God doesn't bind us to do certain things. But we can choose to allow the master electrician to live within us. We can choose to take on the mind of Christ. We can believe. We can believe that if Christ lives in us, I don't have to doubt my salvation. We can believe that if Christ is in us, there is therefore now no condemnation. We can believe that. We can believe that true unity of the Spirit brings a true bond of peace and that that is ultimately one and the same. And if there's people within your circle that do not have the true unity of the Spirit, they will never be able to have an enduring bond of peace. And we have to get to where we can tell the difference. We need men and women of discernment. We need men and women that can see through the outside and that can allow the test of time to tell the story. If we have to spend 30 years to draw a conclusion, it's too late. Often five years is too late. We have to believe that if God said it is not wise, then it's not wise. We have to understand that if environment impacts and shapes us and the whole world is going to hell, why do we allow that to impact and shape us? We have to understand that if if the culture that we're living in within our own churches has shifted in the last ten years, that means something. Either it means they've found Jesus like never before or they're they're not connecting the dots of who Jesus really is and the practical outworking of who Jesus really is. There's two tendencies that are happening in our churches right now. Either there, there's, there, there's a movement towards recreating the wheel of conservative, more a extra-biblical standards to keep from going worldly. It's like there's a movement towards that, which would be recreating what I would call the fellowship churches from my background, like the Abner Kaufman background. A lot of you know Abner Kaufman. Then there's a whole nother movement that is saying it's about relationship. It's about grace. And so the gatherings are about worship and God loves me and God loves me when I'm not perfect. Technically, I agree with both. And in a lot of ways, that relationship with Jesus has got to be there. We have to understand what grace is. I can live as biblical as a human being can live, and I may still be in an internal bondage. It's like, if I fail and stumble, maybe there's a besetting sin I haven't understood how to find freedom from. God still loves us. I agree with that. But we have to come to believe that following Jesus has to look like Jesus. And if it looks like the devil, very likely there's something of the devil mixed in it. We have to understand that if the devil's people love it, 
it's at least a caution. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Devils people are humans. Humans have a lot in common. Do you understand what I'm saying? We tend to draw reactionary lines instead of spiritual, discerning, biblical lines. There's two ways that I often confuse people. (laughs) One is, often people, for some reason, especially young people understand me better than the older generation does. The older generation believes that I don't believe in rules and guidelines in my home. That's one thing that confuses people. The other thing that confuses people is some of the rigid stands I take against what I think is going to destroy my family. And so it's like I get beat around on both sides. But what what I found, what we're finding, is that if we can make discerning decisions based on who Jesus is, And how it's impacting my family today. That may change tomorrow. But we're living in today. And if I provide an environment that works today. And I take that environment all the way through from the oldest to the youngest. We lose the youngest because it's no longer applicable. I'll give you an example. Historically, we as Anabaptist people believe that we should have. Fathers taking responsibility for their home. We believe the family environment is very important. We believe we should be a significant influence. That's why the church school came in like 60, 70 years ago. That's why the homeschooling movement came in. Because we believe that. Okay? So we took that and said, if my family is sitting in my living room, then that means we're related. It used to be that way. So we take that principle and we'll bring it over here. And I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it many times. And so you're happily sitting in your living room with everybody on their smartphones communicating with people that dad and mom have never even heard of. And you can have a thousand young people Influencing your youth while you're sitting there feeling nice and smug because you're having happy family time. It's like we took a shell and moved it right along until it was no longer, it no longer applied at all, but we completely missed the principle. We completely missed the principle. I'm not against smartphones, believe it or not. This one just makes more sense to me. I'm not against social media per se. I've gotten a lot of trouble for saying I'm not against social media. What I am against is influencing coming into our families that we don't know what's going on. So what do we do? We either throw the phone out the window or we don't monitor it. So let's say we throw the phone out the window. And so you bring your family to a nice little church like this where there's several that have smartphones that aren't monitored. 
and you let them hang out together. And so you're again feeling smug because you haven't bought into the social media thing. So you're, but it hasn't made any difference. We have to understand the principle. And we, principles are enduring. Principles are enduring. Applications are not. Some applications may be. Most of them are not. Because environment changes. Environment changes. We had a neighbor. He passed away several years ago. He died at 95 years old. And I was trying to process the changes in his lifetime. But here's what boggled my mind. Let's just assume we believe in the creation. The earth's about 6,000 years old. For 5,900 years, it was fairly similar. I mean, there were spikes in history where the Romans may have had running water in their houses at one point, but didn't have electricity. Um, there were spikes in some of that. But pretty consistently, like everybody still rode horses, which, or drove horses, or camels, or donkeys. And in about 125 years, we went to where we are today. So for like 5,900 years, it's fairly steady. And then all of a sudden, there's just unbelievable, incredible changes. So you'd say any application that worked for 5,900 years has got to last till eternity. Tell you, you are wrong. You are wrong. We have to stay current every day. We have to stay current every day. Typically, it's the applications that destroy the bond of peace. It's typically the applications that destroy the bond of peace. Turn to Romans. Romans chapter 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I think this is a fun passage. It covers so much distance, these several verses. Being justified by faith with peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Jesus... We have access by faith into this grace. Grace is what saves us. But it also fills you with power. If you have the grace, the power of an electrician in this example, then you can do things that are completely impossible for you to do any other way. But think about having enough grace available. I've already said it this way. Paul says there's more available than you can ask or think. And I could think of a lot. There is more grace there. More power there. There is more that Jesus can do through you than anything you could imagine. Let's just leave the walking on water alone for the moment. Can you live consistently like Jesus? Can you take on the mind of Jesus? And whenever you see a discrepancy there, then you allow God, 
God's grace, God's love, God's mercy to flow through you and to bring a healing balance. Do your children believe that God's grace, His power, and His mercy lives within you? Do you guide your home environment to where it's conducive to God's grace coming in? One thing I've found, spiritual mom and dad that do not train their children end up creating a tense environment within the siblings or frustrated parents as you get through the two and three year olds stage and then maybe it's okay for a while but then when they hit 14, 15, 16 the frustration of parents that do not train their children creates its own vortex within the home. Providing an environment that is conducive to the grace of God coming in. Back to Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Let me stop there. Here's where we get tangled. Probably all of us have gone through incredible pain in our lives. We've gone through some incredible separations, maybe lack of appreciation of what we believe or whatever. One of the fallacies of our philosophies, because it's not a theology, one of, one, of, one of the little catches that derail all of this. We tend to read scriptures like this, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations work with patience. Now, I will say that most of us are probably much more patient due to the church conflict we've been through. But we tend to read those scriptures, and our only experience is with Christian brothers and sisters. The conflict is with Christian brothers and sisters. I don't believe that's what Paul's talking about. I don't believe Paul's referring to that. Neither is Peter. When he talks about uh, you being tried and coming out like gold. I mean, it may apply on some level. But that's not what he was referring to. He was referring to persecution because you are a follower of Jesus. And I think our little U.S. bubble is going to change at some point. Um, frankly, I believe if the political winds would have blown to the Democrats, we may see more and more of the Ken Millers and Timo Millers in prison. You understand what I'm saying? So we're kind of watching that, but we're not really thinking. Like, what are you doing that's going to throw you into prison, Brother Earl? What are you doing? Someday, some of the things that I do every day, without thinking twice, may land me in prison. And I'm going to tell you something that's different in today's age than it was back when the Reformation came. We are documented on social media like you wouldn't believe. By default, if nothing else. And anybody that cares to, I mean, our baptisms, I'm sure, 
if the if the U.S. government wants to find out if I baptized anybody, I'm going to tell you, I'm sunk. Or rather, maybe I'm glorified. And I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. We're not hiding anything. But someday, just maybe that will not be the popular thing. I mean, the other day, we, we've, we have a river, we've moved about a year ago, moved down to a little river that, if the water's high enough, we can do baptisms. Several months ago, we were doing a baptism down there, and we were, our church group was walking back out. Someone up on the bridge was hollering at me and way, hey, Freeman, how you doing? Hi there. Anyway, him and his wife were kind of bouncing up and down there, and I was, and when I came closer, I thought, well, I don't know who they are, but it looks like they know me. So anyway, it was one of our um, vendors from our business. But just suppose it would be, it would not be politically correct to baptize a 13-year-old. Just suppose. The situation would be completely different. Completely different. So we believe we're kind of isolated, insulated, uh, but I don't know that we are. That's what Paul's talking about. How many of you have spent days out in the deep because your cruise ship (laughs) fell apart when you were going over to India to spread the gospel? How many of you have gotten beaten unbelievably countless times because you were spreading the gospel? Think about this. The ones of us that are feeling old and tired, and I know some of you do, feel that way because of this conflict. It is unbelievable how often the devil wins by getting believers to turn against each other. I think we're all aware of that. Six months ago, I had the, it was a wonderful opportunity experience. Spending a weekend in Michigan, your hometown area. There was four churches represented there that weekend. And we, there was like 15 that went out with us. And it was, the wonderful part was, I mean, I, I was, I, I, I was the one doing the meetings, okay? But I think the effect was, because the ones that were with me, <laughs> the singing, the testimonies, the devotionals, the mini sermons and all of that. And it was very obvious that this was a team. It was a team that it wasn't their first day doing something like this. It was a team that was walking in the unity of the Spirit. Tim Croft, our deacon, who comes from an incredibly tragic background as a, um, where he has a little part of the world. He put it this way. He said, I've never seen so many discouraged people at one time that were so deeply discouraged together. The Lord used our little group to bring hope and courage to at least several. And my wife and I are flying back out next weekend. And our three children, 
uh, we'll hopefully find some transportation out. Um, the children that grow up in an environment like that have very little incentive unless they just like self-punishment. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's other things you can do to be miserable besides going to church. And as I started seeing that, I said, this is not from God. This is not from God. And one of the things that the Lord has burned on our current leadership's heart is that we have to, in a godly way, deal with the dysfunctional areas. Bring hope where we can bring hope. Bring healing where we can bring healing. But if there's a situation that is committed to dysfunction by the principles they continue living, then it can no longer destroy the entire church. It's been amazing what communication does. I mean, like actually talking. Did you ever think about that? And actually doing what Jesus said, where Jesus said, He said, if there's an issue, work it out. And if you can't, bring in several others that can establish every word. What that means is find out what's actually going on. Get beyond the he said, she said nonsense. That is so destructive. Find out what happened. Bring Christ-like pressure. And then let's go on. Some of these things fester for a hundred years. I mean, going to an old Mennonite community, it never ceases to amaze me about the people that won't talk to each other. I'm talking about hardcore Anabaptist communities. I mean, you've got goodness knows how many churches within a ten mile radius because they can't get along with each other. And they all believe about the same thing. It's like we have to stop that. There's no wonder our children choose to do something that makes more sense. Doesn't even make sense to me. That's why we stopped it. (laughs) By the grace of God, we are endeavoring to walk in the unity of the Spirit, which will bring the bond of peace. Look into your family to see how well you are radiating Jesus. Look into your congregation to see how well you are walking in the unity of the Spirit. Now, just like families, I find it interesting that Paul said that elders will guide a church like they do their family. (laughs) Kind of noteworthy there. Okay, here's what happens then. Let's say you have a family that you don't train them. Not careful shaping and training. You'll probably have a church that there's no careful shaping and training. It's like each man for himself. Just like the children. Each child for himself. That's why the three-year-olds are fighting and carrying on. That's why the 13-year-olds are starting to sneak out and be deceptive. That's why there's no transparency. And they wonder, wonder why church isn't working. Well, they're working the same way you train them to work, okay? It's like in that sense we can create our own environment. And I don't mean that in a way that God is not in control. But what I believe is God's principles work. And once we get to understand that God's principles work, but some people choose not to work them, it all of a sudden makes a lot more sense. And no longer do we allow the results of folks who are not even following God's principles to undermine our firm belief.
Well, it's time to close. I think I got started early, which meant you're supposed to let out early, and I failed on that one. My burden this morning at 3 o'clock was somewhat echoed by my own family when we were talking about what I should preach this morning. And again, I don't know you, brothers and sisters. This is not a targeted message. I'm targeting the devil. I really am. And I, am, I have become absolutely weary of allowing the devil to have a heyday just because we do not have spiritual discerning brothers and sisters. And just because we choose not to apply Bible principles that are fairly simple and very clear. My passion this morning is to bring hope and courage to every one of you. And if you forget everything else that I said this morning, I want you to remember this. Jesus is who he says he is. And as you believe that, he will become in you what he wants to be. And if you understand how to take that grace of God in your life and resolve relational conflict, bring biblical principles and structure, then and only then will you do what the Apostle Paul said when he was teaching Timothy and wanted Timothy to teach others and them to teach others. All of a sudden, you start seeing that's possible. You start seeing it's possible. I am moved to tears many times. When I see some of the ones surrounding us in our community, they start believing in Jesus, not because of Emily and I. Any old couple can be radical about what they believe. I mean, goodness, there's millions of them. Look at the Muslim world. But when they see children radiating the same thing, But any youngsters can be influenced, right? But then they get old enough to make their own choices and it continues. Now that blows them away. We have friends that have never seen a functioning family. We relate to people in our community that didn't even know that moms and dads are like married for 30 years. Or even married. That's foreign to them. In their world, they don't even know about it. And they say, really? That's weird. (laughs) Well, that's what Jesus does. And we as Anabaptists have become callous to that. And we believe if we've been married for 30 years, then we've, that's fine. I'm not suggesting you become unmarried. But what I'm suggesting is that's only a portion of the story. What is radiating from that marriage into the children, into the church, into the community? One of the reasons to send foreign missions so far away is so they don't get confused with the local church. I believe that's backwards. I believe that's backwards. Starting at Jerusalem means right here. And one of your brothers suggested I'd say tell you just a little about myself, which I am not going to do, but I will tell you this. I believe your children 
that it would do them well if your family would live on the home front like you pay your missionaries to live in a foreign field. And that's one of the principles that I will not back down on. I will caution you with this. Before you start living the way you expect your missionaries to live, because remember, those missionaries are groomed and chosen. Before you start living that way, make sure that you can have contact without contamination. We tend to lose our family by bringing things into our home that they're not mature enough to handle. Let me say one more thing that may offend you. We have chosen. I'm not suggesting you need to do this. I'm telling you what we did. My wife and I chose to keep our children as they were growing up and being shaped away from what I call the departing culture of the Anabaptists. As our children turn 18, 19 years old, they're amazed that there's a whole world out there that didn't even know existed. We very carefully did not allow that whole culture that is so close to like we are, but such a slippery slope that is not working for them. Even if it's blood family. We tend to justify relatives in ways that we would never justify if it was a community person living for the devil. We've drawn a hard line. On the other side, we brought the devil straight into our home. We walked on the very edge of hell. Our children never questioned what alcohol and drugs and premarital sex does. Because we've had people in our home that were sad testimonies to that. They don't have to experience what the rock concerts and all that nonsense out there does. Because we've had recovering young people and countless moms and dads that spent weekends with us. They don't have to experience the damage of divorce. We have too many shattered couples. They come spend weekends with us. They watch the mothers weep. And they watch the fathers become discouraged and just passive. I have found that walking with your family in a biblical way on the very edge of hell is way less confusing to your children than the confusing Christian world that we find ourselves in. And that's all I want to say on that because I'd need a week to explain why I believe and what I believe. I don't think it's a dangerous concept, but if it's misunderstood, it is very dangerous. And most of us try to embrace that without understanding it. But I believe it's been significant to the salvation of our family. Let's close with a song. One of my favorites, I promise Faith would sing it. Number 830. Can I borrow a songbook? Here's one that nobody has claimed to. 
I'm one that needs to know what the end results are to be able to give my life for it. I mean, come on, admit it. Most of you would change jobs if you stopped getting paid, right? I don't know what you do. Most of us. It's like we don't work just for the fun of it, even if our job might be fun. I'm going to tell you, I think this song, Sweet Hour Prayer, puts the value where it belongs. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour.